This is Samantha Lewis coming to you from the Georgia Highlands College Leadership Series. Today, I'd like to welcome my GHC leadership guru. He's been at Georgia Highlands College since 2010 when he started the intramural program on the Carswell campus. He served as the director of the Carswell Student Center and Student Life Coordinator. He oversees the Charter Leadership and Integrity Program and is currently the Co-Curricular and Transitions Program Coordinator, Mr. Clifton Puckett. Hi, Clifton. Welcome. Hey, how are you? Doing pretty good. Let's start here. What exactly does a co-curricular transitions program coordinator do? It's a good question because when they first uh, showed me that job, I had to look it up myself. So <laughs> uh, but essentially co-curricular is, um, I guess it's the new kind of direction we're taking the old student life Um pandemic budget cuts happened we decided to kind of revamp how we did student life so they got rid of student life you know the the old comedians and right yeah balloon right. animals got rid of that we want to take it a more academic approach so that's what co-curricular was it's just uh it just how you complement what goes on in the classroom and then the transition program that's just fancy lingo for orientations. Oh, nice. That's okay. all that is, yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did you end up getting into that role? Um, pandemic. <laughs> like we said, about a year ago, um, budget cuts happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and they've been wanting to take, you know, kind of student life in a different direction, pushing it in. The state said we had to cut, I think, $5 million out of our budget. Wow. Um, so you look at student life, there was a lot of full-time positions, ate up a lot of the budget. So plus they wanted to kind of take it a different direction anyway. So they did the cuts, um, entire student life just out. Wow. Uh, and created one position out of it, and that was this position. So it was um, – if I wanted to stay, I had to fly for it. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I, that was kind of the direction I, I liked taking it anyway. Because um, it's just um, my background in undergraduate. So I, I went to Barry College. And at Barry, you have to, they have what are called cultural events credits. So you got to do, I think it's 24 in order to graduate right. in four years. And those cultural event credits, it's a lot of it is just what we do, co-curricular stuff. Um, they may show for sociology class that I remember they showed the movie Amos and Andrew. And then you had a discussion on the sociology aspects of it. Right. Um, so stuff like that. And you had to do 24 of the graduates. So I that kind of that part of uh, student engagement interested me anyway. So I I was interested in position anyway, but um I guess just necessity kind of drove it. Right, so. right. So when when you were at Barry, um, what what did you actually study at Barry? So when I went into Barry, I actually I studied English the whole way. Um, when I first got there, I actually wanted to be a professor. My plan was to study English. Then I wanted to go to Oxford and be a uh, Tolkien <laughs> professor. Wow. Uh, I wanted to get my master's and PhD in Tolkien at. Um, and teach Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Uh, I got to my senior year. I actually took the LSAT because now I'm like, well, maybe I'll go to law school. Took the LSAT. I actually did pretty well in it. Um, was actually all set to go to UGA Law School. And then they offered me a graduate assistantship 
in the athletic department running the intramural program, which I was already doing. Just right. as, it's just a student work. Uh, and my mom put it best. She said, you can go three more years of student loan debt or you can get a free master. So we're okay. Yeah, I will. I will say I'm I'm shopping right now for grad school, and one of the driving forces for uh, my choices um, is is assistantships. You know, I think I think that assistantships are just key. I am a uh, non traditional student. I have a 13 year old son who will be going into high school when I go into grad school. So picking up and moving isn't going to be an option, you know, so kind of narrowing that down. And I've run into some really great assistantships that have really uh, kind of swayed me into specific directions. It's, it's, it's not glorious by any stretch of the imagination. Um, some are really good. Some give you like a living stipend. Uh, the way ours worked was it was a stipend. You got X amount of money at the beginning of the semester. You kind of have to stretch it out. Right. Um, my brother actually just finished – uh, he graduated from his bachelor's at UGA. Then he went to Columbia to get his master's. And actually, assistantships were the difference. He could have gone to Penn. Um, and got, he got in the master's program there for psychology. But Columbia, they offered him a teaching assistantship or maybe his research assistantship. And that's what, that's what got him in there. Oh, yeah. So, especially if you're going to live in the middle of Manhattan. Um, yeah. <laughs> any kind of stipend they can give you. Anything works, yeah. right? Um, so what what actual degrees do you hold now? So I still have, I have, I have a bachelor's in English and Spanish. Um, literature mostly was what I studied. Um, and then, so I did the, I did the um, graduate assistantship at Barry. That master's was going to be in secondary education. And I actually came up an hour short. Oh, uh, I got kicked out of the program because uh, I made two C's. Oh. Their, their program can't make two C's. Um, yeah. And I, I, I did not take it seriously because um, <laughs> I didn't want to teach. I knew I didn't want to teach. Um, so I didn't really take it seriously. Right. Um, you know, call it call it young uh, naivete. Um, so I, I fucked that um, one hour short of the master's. Uh, wow. So I took, took a couple of years off, started working. We're not two years off from academics. Um, started working at Georgia Highlands pretty much immediately. Uh, a couple of years in, I started the graduate program at uh, Georgia Southern in higher ed. That one I finished. I spent all days in that one. Um, so you must have been interested. I learned, in I learned my lesson. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I, I totally get that. So uh, I know that you run the leadership program that we have at Georgia Highlands College. I have been through that program. It is a fantastic program. It is the kind of program that I believe that any student should take, but especially any student who's planning on moving forward into grad school and all those, um, anything higher than that. Um, but I think all the students would benefit from, you know, taking that course and not, it's not a course, but taking that program and, you know, embracing that program but for you. Uh, can you define what leadership is to a lay person, to someone who isn't necessarily know what leadership is? Um, I think most people see leadership before I got into studying leadership and actually being involved in it. Um, to me, you just think of leaders as um, heads of organizations, or coaches on athletic teams, stuff like that. 
Um, but you don't really get into um, a leader, just someone who drives an organization or drives a unit um, and, or people. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be people. You could be just a leader of organization with one or two people. Um, but what you're driving toward that. So like my current position, co-curricular programming, you know, I, I only have one person who reports to me. Um, as opposed to a couple of years ago, I had about 20 student workers, but it's still a leadership position because um, driving programming, the co-curricular program, transition programming, you know, driving that kind of programming. So, you know, it's just driving an organization. Right. So I've been uh, at Georgia Highlands College since summer of 2019 was when I first took my first class so pre-pandemic um, yes pre-pandemic pre-pandemic and uh, I took my first class in summer 2019 so I remember uh student life before mm-hmm. pandemic and I remember the things that you do and I know that I remember those emails because I get emails all the time click and pocket what's going on and keeping us involved and you know that in itself for me I consider to be a a, a very important leadership role I mean it keeps us abreast of what's happening um, on, on campus or at the college or even, you know, within the university system. So, um, I think you, I, you know, fantastic. <laughs> I read those emails every day. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of the trick now, even, even before, cause there was always a thought that students didn't read your email and most probably don't. Um, so the, the trick is finding different avenues to get it in. Uh, we put it in D2L, we put it in the MyGHC portal. Uh, we started a Snapchat and Instagram account. Um, we took the Flush Flash Digital. So we're just trying to find avenues. Because right. in staff is the same way. We, we don't read all of our emails. We have a GHC in form, just like y'all have a student in form. And I, I, half of us probably don't read it. So, you know, it's just finding different avenues. Yeah, I agree. So uh, what do you believe makes for an effective leader? So I think there's a couple of things. Um, You really have to, you have to have empathy. I know we hear a lot about empathy the past couple of years, especially with the last election. Um, And that empathy is important but you really have to be able to, I don't want to say also be cold, but you have to separate sometimes emotions and feelings uh, from decision-making. And I think the first thing you need to ask yourself before you step in leadership role is, can you make that hard decision if you have to? Uh, to put it, you know, more on like a vague level or kind of a more minuscule level, you know, you and I are both parents, uh, I have a three-year-old son. I know he goes to bed at eight o'clock. If at seven fifty-five he asks me for ice cream, I have to say no. You can't. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll start his temper tantrum. He'll start crying. You know, you see your kid cry, it tugs at your heartstrings. Um, but you know, in the back of your mind, if you can't get this kid ice cream. It's right. like five minutes before bedtime. There's no way. Right. Um, so you know that that's a very kind of minuscule level, but you know, no grander level. You have to be able to make those decisions. Like, you know, I mentioned at at the top of the show uh, how I got in my leadership role currently. You know, they got rid of the entire student life program. That was a difficult decision. Um, 
and I know the people who made the decision, like we're close to the president, the VPs, and they knew the impact it would have on our on us financially, our family. Um, and we weren't the only department cut. Uh, I think there were a total of 13. Wow. We were just four. So when you make that decision, you have to kind of separate the fact that this is going to affect people's lives uh, for good or the bad. But if the state tells you you got to cut 20%, yeah, I cut 20%. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, so you, it's, you know, you're sacrificing 13, maybe for a couple hundred. So, yeah, you know, you have to, that's one of the first things you have to do, I think, ask yourself if you can do that. I think the most second most important thing is, and especially during the pandemic, is you have to be creatively adaptable. Um, you have to be able you have to be willing to make changes when they when you have to, um, and you got to do it in creative ways. So one one thing we found, especially in the last year, we got to figure out ways to reach students virtually. Um, getting them, getting everyone on the campus, not going to happen. That's one thing too, especially in my department. Uh, you know, we went from four full time staff, almost essentially a person on each campus, um, to me and a part time. So we got to figure out how do we reach every student on every campus and the students virtually. Right. So you have to be able to adapt to things as they go on. And even like I said, you know, you were, you saw student life before. Um, I, I remember student life 10 years ago when it was a lot of inflatables, comedians, musicians and stuff like that. New president Don Green came in. He said, I want student life to be more academically focused. So we had to make that pivot. So we're in the we're in the middle of a transition right now. A new president may come in and say, "No, no, no, let's go back to the inflatables and the magicians." We got to be able to make that visit, adapt to it. Yeah, so yeah. you you got to be able to just adapt, and then you got to be do it creatively. You don't want to get stuck in a rut. Yeah, um, especially with students, you you're vying for such short attention spans right now. If you're just doing the same thing over and over, you're not doing anything to catch their attention. You're not going to get them. I agree. And especially, you know, in a, in a two-year program, a lot of our students are two-year program. And so they're going to rotate out. And we just have to keep them engaged as long as we can, right? Yeah, that's. I think that hits hardest. It's kind of a catch-22 because I, I've, I've been saying for years, best way to get involved at GHC is to join a club. But clubs, they kind of struggle because – Two-year school. So you have students in here for two years. Like when I was at Barry, clubs are good, but you got four years to kind of build leadership in there. Um, clubs here, you got two years to do it. So if you say you're a two-year student, you join the say you join the psychology club first year, you know, you kind of learn the ropes, seeing how it goes. And then maybe say the second year you decide you want to be a president or a treasurer or secretary. Um but then the next year you're gone. Right. So, you know, you just got a couple of years, really only one good year to kind of build like a leadership and build an establishment. Um, there's not a lot of time for mentorship. No. Which not. is also a fabulous leader skill. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And I think uh, we're really trying to focus on mentorship on uh, the last, in the last, really the last year. Um, and it starts with clubs. It starts with faculty. Uh, I know you're working with Aaron in the research. That's a mentorship program. And mentorship is great. Um, 
it's just hard to do it in a two year span or sometimes even one year. Yeah, that's understandable. And I'm, I'm a walking, talking billboard for mentorship. <laughs> like I have so many mentors here uh, in the program at GHC. Um, so many people have reached out to me and led me in directions that I never would have seen myself. So I'm very thankful that we have mentorship. And for anybody listening who's interested in mentorship, we will have a guest that's going to be covering that uh, at some point during the series. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And I will say faculty here, um, I think they dedicate more to mentorship than others. Uh, said my brother was a UTA. Um, he told me he has a class. He had a class, 300 students. The professor comes in the first day and says, I'm your professor. I'm not going to be here. I got a book to write. Um, and the whole class is taught by a TA. You know, wow. TAs are not. Yeah. They're just not. Uh, you're not going to get that at Georgia Highlands. Um, first of all, you know, they don't have to write books. So they right. That's part of it. But, I mean, they genuinely care. And a lot of our instructors could work at Kennesaw or West Georgia. Um, but they like being here because they like that. They like building relationships with students. I'm in the same boat. I, I've, like I said earlier in the show, I'm shopping for grad schools. And there, I'm not going to mention any names or anything, <laughs> but there's definitely at least one school I'm staying away from because of lack of uh, mentorship and, you know, being able to – uh, I really embed myself with people uh, who I associate with. So, you know, like uh, Professor Shufro, she's um, an advisor for the undergraduate research project that we do here on the Cartersville campus for Lake Alatoona. Um, it was an accident that I ran across her and it was probably the best accident that's ever happened because now I have a slew of people that I can go ask for letters of recommendation. I can, you know, I have options, you know, things that'll make me look good on paper, <laughs> so to speak. Um, so let me ask you this. What, uh, what do you believe? Sorry, again. What is leadership philosophy and leadership vision? I think the first thing, the first thing you have to learn as a leader, after you've asked yourself if you can make those tough decisions, um, you have to first you got to be willing to admit mistakes, and even more than that, you got to learn how to learn from those mistakes. You know, it's it's one thing to just admit, yeah, yeah, we messed up, but then if you turn around and do it again, or you keep doing it, you know, you're not you're not really learning anything. Um, and people who are, who are following you, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll think a lot about you if you make a mistake, especially if you don't throw them under the bus, but if you keep messing up, keep messing up. I mean, you're going to kind of, you're going to shake their trust in you. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's the first thing you got to do is kind of like learn from your mistake and admit your mistake. Um, but I talked about, you know, you gotta be adaptable, um, but that's you know, kind of my philosophy. You have to you have to learn about your faults and your mistakes. And I think one thing you got to do, too, is I'm really big on, and I kind of learned this from our previous president, Don. Um, I'm big on transformational leadership. And there's kind of two ways to do the transformational leadership. You got the short term, which is you go in and really kind of disrupt the process. Um, this is the way it has been going on. Let's do it this way. And you may try it away. You can't be afraid to try it away that's already been tried before. 
because you may do it a different way or the environment may be different, culture may be different. So that's that's the short term, just disrupt the process. But the long term is you transform an organization through the people. And it could come through working with the people. Sometimes you may have to make changes within uh, the people. Adaptability. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you got to be able to make them a safe. You got you to gotta be able to see, you got to be a good judge of character and be able to see who who can do what and who in your organization can do stuff that you can't do. So, for instance, like I said, I, I'm only, I only have one person reports to me right now, um, but she's very good at marketing. Uh, she's actually about to graduate from West Georgia in marketing. Um, she's young, she's 23, 24. So she knows how to market the students. She knows the students. She can engage with them on that level. I can't. I'm not good at marketing. I just don't have a marketing mind. So I really lean on her to do the marketing, make stuff. So you got to kind of learn who can do what you can't and really kind of lean on them. Delegating. It's part of it. Yeah. And just for anybody else listening, (laughs) throw it out there. Uh, Just keep listening. We'll have another episode that's dedicated strictly to delegation. And I I think that's one of the hardest. That's one of the hardest things I think new leaders have to figure out. Right. How do you delegate? Who do you delegate to? Um, You know, I really one of my first struggles was. I'm really one of those that kind of had the mindset if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Yeah, I know that feeling. But you can't have that mindset as a leader. So you have to learn to delegate it. And you also have to learn, too, that you got a vision. You know how you want it done. You delegate the task. They may do it a different way. Um, And you kind of have to be able to accept maybe they did it. Maybe it wasn't quite the exact way you wanted it done or you saw it being done. Uh, But it worked. May have been better. You kind of got to, it takes a little bit of hubris. You got to kind of admit that. Keep an open mind. Exactly. That kind of thing and say, okay, well, this isn't exactly how I would have done it, but it looks like it's working. So let's see where it goes. Or you may have an idea that, like I said, like going back to my my part-timer, I may say, hey, let's market it this way or this way. Um, So she's in college, you know, and she has a marketing degree. You're going to have one. So she may be like, that's not going to work. Let's do it this way. You have to be able to accept that. Yeah, that makes sense. So how, how do you think that a new leader, because hopefully uh, we are reaching the people who are interested in entrepreneurship and anybody who's, you know, wants to be a leader, but doesn't really know how. So how do you, how would you, what kind of advice would you give to a new leader to help them figure out what their leadership philosophy is? You learn a lot through failure and not necessarily your own failure. Sometimes you learn through uh, the other failure of others. You, most people who start, most people who start out as leaders have never had a leader before. Like if you start a leader, you, you had a coach, a teacher, a boss or something. Right. So you have to look at that you know, the ones you like, the ones you didn't like, uh, take the good from the ones you like, take the bad from the ones you didn't like. And you kind of make your own amalgamation of what you want in a leader. That's kind of the first thing you want to do. Learn what type of leader you want to be, how you want to lead, and really try to focus on drawing that from people who failed. 
And the second part, like I said, you got to learn how to delegate. I think a lot of people are like us. They just, well, if I want it done right, I got to do it my way. And you really can't have that mentality. You have to learn to delegate. And part of that too is you don't want to overburden yourself because, you know, I'm a person who, if I get too much on my plate, I start forgetting stuff. Right. I really have to organize it out. Another so, leadership skill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you. I mean, I I used to do. I was kind of old school. I was big on written calendars, like handwritten calendars and planners. Um, pandemic though, I I started turning to digital ones because you know, I always left my planner on my desk in my office. Well, my phone's always on me. Right. So. I'm struggling with that right now because I am old school. I have got a calendar. I only write on it in pencil and I need, I need to put it in my phone. And I just, you know, once I write it there, I'm like, okay, I'll get to it. And I never go back to it. I need to make that transition. Well, you and I, we're from, I think a lot of people and this kind of, this kind of, I know this kind of gets into how people learn. I think a lot of people, you learn more when you write something down. So you're in in your class, you're taking notes. Um, but a lot of the students kind of behind you and me, their note taking is on a computer, it's on a laptop. Um, I know when I was in my first iteration of grad school, it was kind of going that way. That was about 2009, 2010. Um, a lot more students coming behind me, they were taking notes on the computer. Um, so I think the people behind us, to them, it's the same as what you and I see is writing it down to them is typing it out yeah. on their phone or on their laptop. Um, so really it's kind of a generational and culture thing. Um, but something I just had to adapt because, you know, like I said, I will leave my calendar or planner in my office, but the phone's always on. Right. So it really kind of came from convenience. I'm one of those students who uh, I go by the book. <laughs> I know I can get it online for free and I would rather, you know, rent the book for 24 or $25 from the library. I mean, uh, from the bookstore than read it online. I just like a book. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I need, I know I need to make those transitions. Grad school. We'll make that a point to do that in grad school. Yeah. I have a Kindle and the bibliophile in me, the idea of a Kindle is great. I mean, you can have 20,000 books all right there. But I just love holding a book. I love turning the pages. I like to smell the them. Pages. <laughs> uh, who doesn't love to smell the good page? Um, but yeah, you know, I guess it's more back to my tactile nature. But yeah, I got to have a book. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What do you, uh, how would you describe your leadership style? Well, it's evolved over the years. So when I first started, probably undergraduate at Barry, my senior year at Barry, I was um, I was made kind of like the manager of the intramural program and the outdoor program. And in that role, I had people reporting to me who I had been in school with three years at that point. People I had lived in the dorm hall with. Uh, and obviously people who were, you know, I'm 22, 23, they're 18, were right there in the same age. So my leadership style then was more, uh, I was a buddy, you know, we we go, we, we work the intramural games or the kayaking trip, and then we go to the Jefferson's or all the van. Um, so that was kind of the style then. Obviously, I got older, got more into the professional part of it. Um, I kind of had to separate that whole friendship thing. Um, 
but you still got to find a way to relate, find a way to, to they know they can come to you. And I, I think I did a pretty good job of that, um, even within the last couple of years. Um, and even student workers who don't work for me anymore, they're still very comfortable coming to me. Um, I'm one of those, classes. by the way. I'm very much, I, I go to Cliff and I send him emails all the time. I'm sure you yeah. get tired of seeing my I, name. No, I mean, <laughs> I, and I don't mind. I think it, it's kind of, it's weird how, so when I was managing the student center, I mean, my, my door I mean, was constantly in and out of students. A lot of it, though, it was students who worked for me. It was orientation leaders. It was students who hung out in the student center. Um, but over the past year, year and a half, where there just weren't many faculty and staff on campus, um, and I, I mean, I, I came back to campus you know, last June. Right. Uh, so I was one of the first ones back on campus. And I think there's just students who, they just used to seeing me. So now they'll come to my office. I keep, I just, by policy, I keep my office door open. Uh, all unless even sometimes if I'm in a meeting, especially if it's a meeting I don't really care to be in, I leave my door open because I can always say, "Oh, sorry, guys, students in the office." <laughs> but yeah, I leave my door open because I like students coming to me, even if it's just you know, "Hey, where's this class?" Um, one of the funniest ones I had in the past couple of weeks, um, Dr. Blankenship teaches a classroom right behind my office. If you ever have Blankenship, you know, class starts at eight a.m. That door's shut and locked at 8 So it's the second week of classes. The student comes in my office and he goes, um, Hey, I'm supposed to be in this class, but the door's locked. And I said, The door's locked? Well, I can probably open it for you. And he goes, Yeah, I mean, there's class in there. And I stopped. I said, Wait, is it other blanket shit? He said, Yeah. I said, Yeah, man, you got to be here at 8 o'clock. You need to be here at 5 till. He goes, Really? He's like, This is the only class on campus I have today. I was like, No. Sorry, <laughs> you gotta be here early, man. I'm gonna tell you. Go to class on time, you guys. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's interactions like that. You know, students. You know, obviously they see me at orientation. They see me at weeks of welcome. Uh, so they're just comfortable coming. I like it. I like interacting with students. If I didn't like interacting with the students, you know, I'd, I'd have a different job. For sure, and I can validate that story because uh, at least one or two days a week, I sit in the hallway where your office is, and that door is always open. Even if you're not in there, that door's open. So yeah, which I, you know, IT would get mad at me because my laptop's sitting there and that door's <laughs> wide open. But um, yeah. IT's not gonna listen to this. It's fine. <laughs> I at least got the habit now where I take my key out of the door. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so let me ask you: if uh, if a team is struggling to stay motivated. I'm going to retract. I'm going to start over with that question. I do manage the undergraduate research program that we have on the Cartersville campus, the Lake Alatuna, which I said just a little while ago. Um, and I do have a team that rotates out. Like you said, we're a tier college. Um, so I'm really benefiting from everything you're saying. Um, and hopefully everybody out there listening is too. But my question for me personally is if, if my team is, started, is struggling to stay motivated um, what steps can I take as a leader to boost their engagement? I would start with a recharge. Sometimes, um, you know, and that's not trying to pun on the mascot. Or I was going to say it, but I stopped myself. <laughs> um, sometimes teams just need a recharge. Sometimes you just need, uh, you need an outing. And it could even be small, just a pizza party or something. Uh, just something to kind of recharge the energy, recharge the motivation. The second thing you could do is maybe try to find the root. Um, it could stem from one person who's just 
things aren't really going going well in their life. Um, so maybe they're having some issues. Maybe I can identify that. And then, and maybe you can use all three of these. Also, the third thing too is you might need to, and this kind of goes back to transformation leadership. Maybe you need to disrupt the process. Maybe it's just they're kind of in a rut, kind of need to change. So maybe if you have if you have things delegated out, maybe you switch out the delegation. Switch them up a little bit. Okay. Maybe you, you know, just kind of one thing I did um, that my student workers actually used to like. Uh, I would put one of them in charge for a day. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't give them the master key to the building. Right. But, you know, I'd let them sit. I even let them sit in my office. Um, my old office in the student center, you know, had a, had a bank of monitors above me, which is like all the security cameras for the building. I let them sit in there. Um, when students come in, they would talk to them. I would have them walk around. Just kind of let, you know, they're just their manager for a day. Yeah. Just the, and it's not... I'm not trying to make a lesson. I'm not trying to say, hey, you see how hard this is. Right. It's no other reason to just kind of break up the monotony. I was just going to say that. And even during that, so, you know, the way we had our different stations, um, you know, students are in stations, one be in the game room, one may be in the fitness center. So if the person usually sits in the fitness center, if they were the manager for the day, they would sit in my office and I would sit at their desk in the fitness center. Which I didn't mind because it's to me it was a different way to see new students. Um, talk to me, but you know, um, it might and it might just be doing the exact same thing for you as it's doing for them. You know, yeah, get you out of monotony, get you a little yeah. shake it up a little bit. Especially, you know, especially during the summer. Yeah, when I in the student center, it, summers get kind of boring over yeah. there in the student center. Um, since I was just going to sit in the gym. Yeah, it's just. Just to see someone, <laughs> <laughs> a face, yeah, maybe yeah. a friendly, a friendly voice, a hello, anything. If you guys see Clifton walking through the hallways, make sure you wave. <laughs> um, okay, so what is, what is it about leadership that you found that surprises you? Um, how much it changes. Um, it's just not. Now we talk about different leadership styles, and you really find yourself constantly evolving. And maybe it's just because I'm only 35 I'm doing it, you know, well over a decade. But as you move up, I think your leadership will constantly evolve because a lot of people think of their leadership as an extension of your personality. Um, when your personality doesn't, once you hit 25, your personality doesn't change much. Um, I mean, you may have some life events that may change your personality a little bit. For the most part, you get 25 your personality your personality. Right. And a lot of people see leadership as an extension of that personality. Um, and to a degree, I think mine is. I'm a very go with the flow kind of person. Just That's just my personality. Uh, and you see that a lot in my leadership. I don't get frazzled a whole lot, which is good from right. a leadership um, perspective. But You'll be surprised at how much your your philosophy on leadership, your style, how much it's going to change. Um, I mean, like in the past year, mine mine's changed. Yeah. So you kind of and you're always surprised by how much you're learning. Um, not just about leadership, really, you learn a lot about yourself. How right. you respond to certain things. Um, there are certain things that I react to differently. Like I'm still a very go with the flow kind of person. I don't get frazzled, but there are things that um, kind of panic me a little bit more than others. 
Um, and you kind of get surprised at what pants you look at. So it's, it, that's the kind of thing, the biggest thing to me you take away from it. So just pretty much last last thing that I have, I want to know what kind of advice you give to maybe someone uh, who's an up and coming leader uh, regarding a new leadership role, maybe uh, maybe like your marketing, your part timer. Um, what kind of advice could you give to them to uh, um, to help them um, succeed as a leader? Always, always be on the lookout for ways things can be better. I think a lot of times, especially in leadership roles. We get stuck in, I don't want to say stuck in a rut, especially if things are going good. You kind of, you're just kind of chugging along. You're like, all right, things are doing good. We can, we can do what we've been doing. But you need, you need to look for ways it can always be better. You don't, and that's, that's the hard thing about transformational leadership. You know, you're disrupting the process. You're transforming it through the people. Um, and you always kind of want to be transforming it but there has to be some stability. You have to find where that stability is. It could be stability in the type of people you bring in. It could be stability in the process, but you still got to have flexibility built in there. Um, because, you know, a world-changing pandemic may come along. and so, I, mean, I don't think any of us were prepared for that. I remember, in fact, I remember, so... Let's see. I, I do remember we 2020 March 2020, but March 1450. It was right it, it was 14th. Yeah. Yeah. That's, when, they that's when um yeah we're we're remotely two weeks before that uh the whole student life staff and some students we were in Orlando um at a conference for student life planning events um and we were in airports packed. We were on full flight. Wow. Um, where we stayed at was like a hotel slash mall. Mall was packed. The hotel was packed. Every restaurant was packed. And this is like late February. Yeah. 2020. Um, and two weeks later, all that's gone. Wow. I know. <laughs> so you just never. And when we, when we were at that conference, because that conference, we were there kind of planning the next activities, what kind of events and performers we want to bring in. None of us ever thought that we would have to go virtual. Right. It didn't even. Was never even a thought. No. Yeah, um, ever. And the weird thing about it too is, so I remember a couple of years ago, I made a big push in my student life programming to focus on non-traditional students, uh, especially students who were taking classes after 3 p.m. So we were doing kind of like night events or stuff like that. But the biggest if you look at campuses pre-pandemic, and if you consider online a campus, online was the second largest campus of Georgia Highlands. Carter still had 2,500. Online still was about 2,200. That's all online. This is wow. pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, Floyd was about 16, 1,700. So that's 2,200 students. We just, we weren't reaching. Right. You know, you're not, they're not, they're not going to come to campus just to watch a comedian. Right. But, if you have like you know next week we have Lisa Jacob, you have that this via Zoom. They'll log on and watch a Zoom stream for sure. And you know I think for me, uh, speaking of like Zoom events and and virtual events and stuff like that, like I have attended so many more 
um, lectures and stuff, um, the entrepreneur series, like if, if that was face to face, I, I probably wouldn't have been able to make those, you know, but now I'm so hungry for them. And I know that Lisa Jacob, Jacob is coming and she's not going to be face to face if I'm correct. That was the original plan with the Delta spike and everything. We just, um, right. we, we decided to just keep it virtual. She would have been coming down from Virginia. Right. Um, so, but the great thing, and this is, and we're still going to do this moving forward when there's hopefully a post-COVID. What we're going to do with Lisa was she was going to be in person at Cartersville, mm-hmm. but we're going to stream it live Zoom, you know, to everyone. And then we're going to have dedicated spaces at uh, Floyd Library, the Paulding Library, which we're still going to do that even on the virtual event. So that's where, you know, you would have Lisa's in one spot, but if you're at home or at work, you can still watch it. Or if you're on campus and you just want to gather and watch it with friends or other students, you can still do it. And I think moving forward, that's going to be the way to go because um, I'm not going to full disclosure since it's your student activities fee paying for it. Lisa Jacob is a $5,000 speaking fee. Um, When she was going to come down here, we're going to pay another thousand and travel. Um, So if you were to have Lisa, the old way of, if we were bringing in someone like Lisa, she would go on every campus and speak. Sure. So we got five sites. If we're going to do that, Lisa Jacobs is $25,000. Wow. Actually, you add in travel, you're looking at thirty dollars Wow. So if you want to fit that under about, say you just want to spend about ten grand for one artist. Right. Well, then you've got to look at an artist who's only about 2000 which means you're not going to get the same kind of quality. Right. Lisa Jacob, we can pay more, um, and I think you're going. I think you're going to get a lot of quality from her. Um, so, I think it's great. And then, like next month for Spent Carriers Month, we got Dr. Ocasio. That one's not as expensive. He's about seven hundred bucks for a virtual. Um, we're going to bring him on campus too. Same thing with Delta. We decided not to. It's only going to be about a thousand. Yeah, but it's still a quality of presenter you're getting. Well, I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to Lisa Jacob. I plan on attending and listening and note-taking and learning all about my own weird. <laughs> and uh, I have made a date with a professor to uh, sit and have a snack and uh, and watch that, that presentation. And I think it's really important, um, again, you know, being in that leadership role afforded me the opportunity to say, hey, you want to sit with me and watch this and, you know, have a snack? She was like, absolutely. So that was a really cool thing. She, she's going to be great. She's very engaging. Um, that's how I found her. I found her on Twitter. She was actually like retweeted and responded to one of those articles. That's like, whatever happened to the actress from Mrs. Doubtfire? She was like, well, a lot of things have happened. To me. <laughs> um, that's interesting. She's very engaging like that. I mean, yeah. if you ever just follow her Twitter, she's, she's fun. Nice. Um, so I, I think, uh, I think we're going to get a lot of good out of her. And like moving forward, circling back to my point, moving forward, you know, using this hybrid model, I think we're going to be able to get more quality speakers. Okay. Um, even think the entrepreneurship series that the School of Business is doing, I mean, they're getting people in the virtual format who, it's not that those entrepreneurs wouldn't have been wanted to come to Highlands, but it's, it's going to cost you more. Right. You know, so... You know, and I and we're bringing a lot of them actually on campus for the uh, shameless plug charge and the leadership conference in October. So, um, I, I think everyone who has participated 
in that entrepreneurship speaker series is going to be on campus in Cartersville. That is very, very exciting, especially if you uh, if you have sat through um, Clifton's leadership series program or not leadership series program, but the leadership program that he coordinates, or if you are interested in it, uh, those leaders are just amazing to listen to and, and to feed off of and, and take their advice. Um, I've learned so much from the entrepreneur series. So, yeah, we're, we're very excited about the keynote speaker, um, Shanika Wright Turner, who's a professor in the school of business. She's spent she's out. She's actually the entrepreneur's experience. I think she's the one found all those speakers um, and she's she's bringing them to our conference next month and she's she's friends with the keynote um dr quentin lee he went viral about a year ago and like the singing principal or the dancing principal but he cut this video for his school uh based off mc hammers can't touch this which a lot of people listening probably don't know what that song is. <laughs> I know all about it. <laughs> Google it. Um, but yeah, he and it's, it went viral. He's, he's going to be very entertaining. Because um, I wanted someone, that keynote, you know, you're kicking off the conference, wanted someone energetic and everything, and he, he's going to bring that. He's going to bring that. Well, I'm looking forward to that conference. I plan on 100% attending. Um, hopefully, I'm going to be helping one of the professors <laughs> who's presenting, so I can, uh, I can you know, be on the back end of that. I think hers is on, sure, no, hers is on mentorship. Um, and I think Brenda Rogers did well in grad school. Yeah, well, one of the main reasons why hers is on mentorship is because she's my mentor. <laughs> and and we kind of, it was just an accident. Like, she didn't have a mentee. Yeah. I wasn't looking for a mentor. And we just ended up in the right place at the right time. And and now, you know, she comes to me when she needs things and I go to her and, you know, it's, it's a very give and take relationship. Let me ask you about these series. For anybody who's listening to this that, that might not be... Um, present, uh, or this podcast could be a little bit older for those people, uh, will there be a way for folks to access a recording or anything like that of these series? Yeah, we're going to, um, are talking about the leadership series? Yeah, well, the, yeah, the entrepreneurship, the leadership. Oh, so the entrepreneurship series, they are all recorded and posted on the website. Okay. Um, even I think the one last week, I think it's already up on the school of business website. Um, and if we just get to go over to like quick links and go to the school of business, we should be able to find. Yeah. Or you, I think there's a tab that says departments, could go school of business. I think they have a little link on the side that says entrepreneurship speaker series. Okay. Click on that. You should be able to have a recording of all of them. Very cool. Last year, this year. Um, and then the, the leadership conference or leadership series in the spring that you went through, we're going to do it again. Um, we're actually going to revamp it a little bit. I think I told you last time we're going to bring actually some alum in. We actually call you alum from last year. Y'all are going to come in and actually help mentor. Yeah. Um, because mentorship is very important in leadership. Um, so we're going to incorporate a lot of that in. But all those will be recorded and posted too. And we're going to try and record some of the sessions from the conference um, and post them. Like, we're probably going to wait before we post it. We really want people to come on campus right. for the conference. Um, but we'll, we'll record and post some of it. That's perfect. Um, well, Clifton, that is really all I have. Do you have any last minute advice for any of our upcoming leaders? 
Stay flexible. <laughs> Adaptability. Adaptability. Um, well, I do want to thank you, Clifton Puckett, our GHC leadership guru. Um, I appreciate you coming. I appreciate everything that you do for our school. And I appreciate all your leadership knowledge that you bring to the table. I appreciate it. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Clifton. Thank you.